You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to your Friday. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez here once again. On a Friday, LSU Tigers getting a win last night over Kentucky, 11-6. They will play the top-seeded team in the country in Tennessee a little bit later tonight. The Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns getting ready to get underway in about half an hour against the Jags of South Alabama. Got some NHL, NBA, Astros. we got a lot to get into. Producer extraordinaire slash co-host with the most. Mr. James Mesh, sitting in the master control suite, pressing all the buttons, making sure I sound good, making sure I look good. James, what's going on, bud? Hola, como estas? Okay. <laughs> Cross the line there. <laughs> just because I have a Spanish last name doesn't mean I know Spanish. What the heck did you just say? Oh, <sighs> You're a piece of work. I think the word you were looking for is that I'm incredible, but continue. No. Uh, I'm doing all right on this Friday. How about you? Thank you, buddy. I'm doing well. I am doing well. We also have some golf to get into. The Charles Schwab Challenge going down at the Colonial. So far, Scott Stallings and Bo Hostler are in the lead at nine under. A couple of names of note. Scotty Shuffler, your Masters champion, one stroke behind at eight under. Patrick Reed at 7-under. Victor Hovland at 6-under. Go a little further down the leaderboard to Max Homa at 2-under. He's had a he's had a nice run of late. Tony Finau in the mix at 1-under. Sam Burns, Louisiana boy, at 1-under. And then you go down to even and even 1-over. Colin Morikawa is around there. Justin Thomas not having a great week so far, but you really kind of expected that. You ex- you expected him to have a little bit of a hangover after winning the PGA Championship. He is currently sitting at five over for the tournament. The cut sitting at one over, two over around that ballpark. Trying to find Jairz Jordan Spieth, five under. So Jordan Spieth, four back of... The leaders, Colonial being his home course. Look for the kid to make a run tomorrow. James, your Boston Celtics play tonight. Chance to close it out and join the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. Man, you know, how you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling good. We got a good chance. It's in Boston. Always got a good chance of closing it out in Boston. Miami's exhausted, dude. Kyle Lowry, he's obviously he's obviously hindered. He's playing hurt, and hate to make that excuse, but I mean, they are he's struggling. He's struggling. Max Struess, who's supposed to be their up and coming shooter, who's supposed to bring life, just like Duncan Robinson. Neither of them can make a shot either. And then Tyler Hero, he's been hurt the last two games. I would presume he would suit up tonight. But I don't know how much of a difference it'll make if 
you got three guys that are supposed to be shooters and none of them can shoot. Yeah. Oh, it's true. It's very true. And then um, Jimmy Butler, he's also injured right now, and he hasn't been effective I since heard, game two. I heard a statistic. He's eight for his last 34. Sounds shooting. about right. That's, that's, that is rough. Brutal. That is rough from your, you know, from your stud. I mean, that's your guy. So for for those kind of numbers to be coming out of your guy, that is uh that is not uh that's not great. Official start time for Louisiana South Alabama is four fifty two p.m. Uh, the game between Georgia Southern and App State ran long. Georgia Southern taking down the Mountaineers seven to one in that one. Uh, so. Georgia Southern will advance to the semifinals to take on Troy tomorrow. Poll question of the day here on Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. Can LSU take down Tennessee tonight? LSU's offense is reeling. I agree. However, their pitching, which has been an issue all season, continues to be an issue. Can they find an arm that takes them over the hump to take down a team with a .875 win percentage. I mean, 49-7. and seven. Think about that. That is a ridiculous win-loss record. So can the Tigers do it? Can they get it done? So far, 69% of you say yes. 31% say no. James, what do you think? I'm saying they can. I'm saying they can beat Tennessee tonight. But the question is, will they? See, that's what I was getting at. They can do it. Are they, though? And it worries me. They were able to get a bunch of hits and get a bunch of runs. And er- nobody really hit. No one hit a home run. Oh, there was, there was only a couple of home runs. A lot of the scoring came from RBI singles and doubles. Yeah, Josh Pearson had had that one. But other than that, uh, that, was, that was LSU's only home run last night. Kentucky had two. From the same guy, um, it's like I'm wondering: can that be can that be repeated, especially without having K. Doty and Jacob Berry? And you're going to face a Tennessee team who is 49 and seven. Here, here's what worries me: you're going to keep the game close because Tennessee does have vulnerabilities. They've shown it. Kentucky beat them two out of three. They've shown it. I see the game being close, you know, 2-1, 3-2 type of game. And then in the later innings, you know, your 8th, ninth inning, Tennessee's going to bring in Ben Joyce, who throws the ball at minimum of 99 miles an hour. one point he hit 105 this year. I mean, how are you hitting that? There's no way you're hitting that. You would have to start your swing right as the ball comes out of his glove, basically. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you, you, you get my you point. You don't have a lot of time. Yeah, you get my point. 105 miles an hour, the ball is traveling 60 feet. Yeah, that is that is absolutely brutal. Uh, comment on the poll question from my guy, Christian Nugent. He says, Tigers are fire, firing on all cylinders. We take them down tonight. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Again, they can do it. 
but will they is going to be the almighty question. The Astros will be on the airwaves tonight as they take on the Seattle Mariners nine-game road trip for the Strohs. First pitch will be at 840, and you can listen to that on our sister station, News Talk 98.5, because the Tigers will be on the airwaves here on the game. All right. Yesterday, we didn't get a winner for Downtown Rising, so here's what we're going to do. We've got two pairs left. We're going to give them both away today. James, give me the first trivia question. The trivia question is, what was the final score of the Saints Super Bowl? That simple. What was the final score? First person to call 706-0111 and give us the final score of Super Bowl 44 between the Saints and the Indianapolis Colts. We'll get two free tickets to downtown Rising. And as a reminder, here in Acadiana, you can watch the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. So looking at just, you know, general topics of discussion, James Nikola Jokic plans to sign a five-year Supermax this offseason with the Nuggets? That'd be huge. Five years, $260 million. Oh, my gosh. Over 50 million a year. That's 52 million a year. Oh, my goodness. Excuse me? Just wait until just wait until Jamal Murray comes back. Because he did have to carry that team that whole year without him. That's so crazy. Yeah, it says, after Jokic publicly stated his desire to sign the extension late last month, sources say the 27-year-old has reiterated his long-term commitment to the franchise this week and made clear his belief in the organization's future in the wake of Connolly's exit. Multiple sources tell The Athletic that when the Nuggets offer Jokic the five-year, $260 million Supermax deal in July, the All-NBA Center plans to sign it. That's a lot of money. I mean, don't get me wrong. Jokic is, you know, a back-to-back MVP. That's a lot of money. Also, here's here's something that we need to get into that we don't get into very often. Soccer. James, tomorrow is the Champions League final. The battle of Europe between Liverpool and Real Madrid. I know you don't know much about soccer, but... Well, no, I, I, I know both those teams. I just so, don't know, like, the rosters. So, who, who, are, you, who are you taking? Hmm... Probably got a lean Real Madrid. Really? Isn't because I mean, Messi didn't move on, did he? Yeah, he did. Oh, he did. And Messi never played for Real Madrid. That was Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, yeah. Which he, I, moved, I had he it moved, the other. I had it the other way. Which around. he moved on as well. Yeah, he, he's with uh, Juventus. Mm, 
Manchester United. He moved again? Yes. Oh. I'm so and, far behind. And Lionel Messi is in Paris at Paris Saint-Germain. But no, um I'm not I'm not knocking your pick of Real Madrid. I don't think that's far fetched. I mean, they're in the Champions League final. I just I follow the Premier League because I'm a big Manchester City guy and Liverpool is Liverpool is something else, dude. They are some kind of good. It was the first time in 10 years that the Premier League champion was decided on Championship Sunday. And Manchester City only won it because of a last-second goal that they had to score in the last couple minutes of their game. Liverpool was breathing down their necks all day. Absolutely insane. So again, trivia question for downtown rising tickets. Correct score of the Super Bowl. 706-0111. First person to call with the correct score will win the tickets. Switching gears. If you want to see the Astros in person, well then listen up. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox on Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. I've been on one of these. They're a lot of fun. All you got to do is register to the game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Take a time out right here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. And when we return, Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider will join us to preview the Tigers and the Volunteers tonight from Hoover. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Louisiana Raging Cajun, I'm sorry, the LSU Tigers took down Kentucky last night by the final score of 11-6. to They do advance to take on the Volunteers of Tennessee tonight on the SEC Network. Joining us to dissect Tennessee and give you a preview of this contest is Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, good afternoon, my friend. How are you? The rain has cleared out of Hoover and the sunny skies for the weekend, and it looks like we're full speed ahead with some baseball. Man, I I love to hear that because the last couple of days, this weather has just been absolutely brutal to try and get some baseball games in. It has been, and it kind of felt like if that LSU game wouldn't have been able to get, they wouldn't have been able to get that one in last night. That I don't know how they would have gone forward with doing double elimination on this tournament, so it feels like they had... 
the maximum amount of delays and postponements that they could to, to get everything in as of normal. So luckily, uh, it looks all clear for the weekend and a few double headers. But besides that, everything kind of still going to be as of normal for the tournament. Fantastic. Look, Ryan, let's, last time we talked, we, we did an in-depth profile on Alante Taylor after the Saints drafted him in the second round. Now I finally get to talk to you about this Tennessee Volunteers baseball team, 50-7, and 25-5 and five in the SEC. Just unreal numbers. Give me and our, and our listeners an overview of, of the Volunteer season. Yeah, I mean, it's really been crazy. It was a team that was expected to take a little bit of a step back from the team that went to Omaha last year. I still thought it was going to be a team that was going to be a regional host team that was going to finish in the, the top few spots in the SEC, but I don't think anyone anticipated this. And uh, I think one of the, the you could anticipate, a big reason I thought they were going to be so good, was the pitching staff. And they brought in two true freshmen. Uh, Chase Burns was a, a big-time recruit out of Middle Tennessee, and a guy Tennessee really worried would go to the MLB draft. He didn't. And then Drew Beam, uh, another Middle Tennessee guy that was not nearly – he's kind of been the, the unsung hero or the big surprise of the pitching staff. He didn't uh, get to pitch his last two years in high school because of the COVID pandemic, and then he had elbow surgery that, that stopped him from pitching last year, and he's been really good. And then the guy that LSU will see tonight, Chase Dolander, a uh, guy from Georgia Southern that transferred in is SEC Pitcher of the Year this season. And he was the one that you knew was really good. He was really impressive last year, actually, against Tennessee uh, when he was at Georgia Southern, and then Tennessee beat out Arkansas and TCU to get him. So on the mound, I think a lot of it, while you never know for sure, you knew that they were going to have the talent. But what they've been able to do to replace the production that they got at the plate last season has, has been really impressive. And I think that starts with Trey Lipscomb, who spent three years sitting sitting on the bench for most of his Tennessee career. And he wasn't one of the SEC co-players of the year, but I believe finished third in that vote, has over 20 home runs on the season, leads the SEC in RBIs. And it's been a, a lineup that's maybe not quite as deep as it was last year, but a lot of really good power hitting. And the guys that were good parts of good returners from last year's team, Drew Gilbert, the one that I think a lot of people know have taken a step forward as well. And it's kind of culminated with a, a Tennessee team that has very few weaknesses and is really, really tough to beat. I thought the name Chase Dolander sounded familiar. Georgia Southern transfer, because, you know, here in Lafayette, we, we cover Louisiana Rage and Cajuns extensively. Yeah. And so, yeah, okay. I, you, you read off that name, and I said, man, that name sounds so familiar. But, yeah, you know, Chase Dolander, obviously you, you brought up um, Drew Beam. But, you know, the pitcher that everybody loves to talk about at the University of Tennessee is Ben Joyce. Yes. And, and, and the way that he can just reel a baseball past a hitter. You're right. And it was, it was almost like a folk hero. You would hear, because he was injured last year. He came in from a community college uh, and then was on the 2021 team that made it to the College World Series, but had Tommy John that fall, so missed the whole entire season. And I didn't have the chance to watch him in that fall. And like I said, it was just like you just heard murmurs about him of how special this guy's arm was and how good he was going to be. But at the same time, he has such little pitching experience at a high level that Tony Vitello, Frank Anderson, Tennessee's pitching coach, they really kind of wanted to to ease him into the season. And it was a lot of one-inning max appearances for him this year. And you saw his talent. You saw him. I think his first appearance, he threw multiple pitches over 100 miles per hour. And he's just slowly gotten better and better. And it's really been fun to watch, especially really this last month, last six weeks, 
is when Tennessee has, I think he's earned Tennessee's coaches full trust and they've given him a lot more longer outings. They gave him a start uh, against Georgia after they clinched the SEC to kind of give Beeman Burns, those two freshmen, a little bit of rest on their arm. And it, you're right. Uh, I didn't even bring him up, but he's the guy nationally that everyone knows on the Tennessee team. And uh, I'm sure you guys know, but you watch a lot, covering t- college baseball, you, you watch a lot of midweek baseball games that are pretty boring. And, you know, a lot of times I'm working on other stuff during those games, you know, obviously following along, tweeting stuff out, but not completely glued in. And that changed this year. Anytime Ben Joyce came in the game, it was, all right, let's stop everything you're doing. Let's sit up and let's watch him pitch because he is an absolutely electric factory. And it's been really cool to watch. And it's pretty crazy that he's how far down the pecking order he really is in this Tennessee pitching staff. Chatting with Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Shifting back to the offensive side of things, you know, you brought up Trey Linscombe with his 21 home runs and SEC leading 75 RBIs. Drew Gilbert, obviously, you know, that's a name that, that came onto the scene last year with with the Grand Slam and the regional in Knoxville. But, you know, um, the, the stat that's really sticking out to me is the amount of home runs that Tennessee has hit this year. I mean, you've got seven players, eight players, with double-digit home runs. Yeah, it's, you know, some of it is certainly due to the ballpark. Lindsey Nelson Stadium is a smaller park, but I, I think it's a it's a contribution of a, of a bunch of different things. You have guys like Luke Lipsius and Evan Russell who are six- and fifth-year seniors, respectively. They've both had their best power seasons of their careers even though they were both good power hitters coming into this year. You have guys that are 23, 24 years old who are just naturally extremely strong after being that old in a college system for that long. And both those guys have had career years at the plate. And then you have the influx of talent that Tennessee brought in his best recruiting class under Tony Vitello this past year, a top five class. And Blake Burke is a guy that's in double-digit home runs, hit one, pinch hit home run last night against Vanderbilt. And Evan Russell, like I said, he's one away from – breaking Todd Helton's program record for most career home runs. I would be shocked if Blake Burke doesn't break Evan Russell's record by the time he's done. And it's just top to bottom in the lineup. A lot of guys that have power, uh, some of it has been extremely surprising. Corlin Lawson, who was another guy that hit one deep last night, is nine-hitter in Tennessee's lineup, shortstop. He's in the lineup every day because he's a really good defender, and he's gotten into double-digit home runs. So it's a lineup that consistently has a ton of guys, a ton of really good power hitters for uh, a lot of different reasons, uh, a lot of different factors lead into that. And uh, the small ballpark probably amplifies that a little bit. But they've gone on the road to Ole Miss and hit a ton of home runs. And, and then last night at Hoover, uh, the Hoover Met, a bigger ballpark, hit two home runs. So it's a really impressive lineup. Uh, and last year it was kind of they were going to beat you by grinding out of bats in one through nine, guys that were going to make it really, really hard on you. This year it's a lot of power and a lot of big-name bats that – uh, have a lot of talent and are probably going to be playing baseball for a long time. Ryan, talk to me about Tony Vitello. He's a he's a grad of Mizzou. He spent time at Mizzou, TCU, and Arkansas, where he was the recruiting coordinator at all three stops. He recruited Ian Kinsler, Max Scherzer, Andrew Benatendi, and then he arrived at Tennessee in 2018. And, and turned this program back into a powerhouse, brought them back to Omaha for the first time in 15 years. How has he been able to do all of these things throughout his career? What is so special about Tony Vitello? 
Yeah, I think it's even amplified what he's done at Tennessee by the fact that the coach before, Dave Serrano, was a guy that made the College World Series twice at smaller schools out in California. And he came to the SEC, came to Tennessee, and uh, for lack of a better term, just kind of failed miserably. Never got it close, Tennessee close to even getting back to the NCAA tournament. And I think it's a lot of things that go into what Tony Vitello has done so well. You mentioned it with the guys that he's recruited at different stops. He's just a relentless recruiter. Uh, always on the road, always going after guys. And we know in college sports, uh, that's so much of it is you have to be fully committed. And he's married to the game. He doesn't have a family, uh, doesn't isn't married, no no kids or any of that. And it's a lot of long hours that he's put into the Tennessee baseball program. And I think when you combine it with the fact that he's hired some really good people around him, Frank Anderson, Tennessee's pitching coach, is one of the best in the country. Has had stops at a lot of major schools. Was the head coach at Oklahoma State for, I believe, about eight years, pretty successful, making five or six NCAA tournaments when he was the head coach there in the Big 12. And that's been a huge part of it. Uh, Frank Anderson is is fantastic. And when I think about what could potentially slow down the growth of Tennessee's program, that's one of the few things that that stands out is him retiring as he's kind of on the back leg of his tenure. And uh, then on the offensive side of it and the recruiting coordinator, Josh Elander, a lot like Vitello, was relentless on the road. And Vitello's praised him a ton. And, even with all that, I think that one thing that, that's underlooked, at least now that we're a few years removed from it, Tennessee, this program, Tennessee players, you know, they didn't feel like they, they could compete at the top. There was a severe lack of self-confidence amongst the players in this program, and it really hasn't been a talking point for a few years, but it is now. And just the confidence, and I mean, you watch these guys play, it's, it is probably over the line of confidence to arrogance a lot of the time, and there's complete fearlessness. They're not scared of anybody, and they're going to go out there every single time, and they're going to do their do their best to try to beat you, and they're going to let you know about it if they do. And I think that's really a lot of a lot of the stuff. You know, some of the stuff they do, I think Vitello could could go without the fur coat celebration, some of that. But that mindset of we're going to take it to you every time out there, I think they've 100% gotten from their head coach. Yeah, it, it seems that way. Vitello's definitely got a uh, a fiery attitude about him, which uh, you know I, I think a lot of the players at Tennessee enjoy and get behind, and that's part of what makes him so successful, right? Definitely, and he talks about it that you know, all these different SEC schools that are so good, they have different identities. And that's with programs like LSU, like Arkansas, like Mississippi State, like South Carolina, that have had a lot of traditional success. And Tennessee is a, is a baseball career program. They've had a couple good stretches, but, but no success that rivals the top six or seven schools in the SEC. And he said, we had to find our identity, and that was it. We're going to be, if you want to use the term villains, you can use the term villains, but we're going to play with an edge and a chip on our shoulder at all times. And you see that from him. He a lot of times is very stoic in the dugout, but a lot of times he he likes to, to jump out, yell at the home plate umpire, and take a little laugh to come in the other side of the dugout. And he is extremely fiery. We've seen that a handful of times this year, sometimes going a little bit too far. But as long as you're winning, you, you can go a little bit too far and you don't have to rein it in too much. And he has that competitiveness that really the rest of his team and really the Tennessee fan base is completely taken after. Right. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider joins us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. All right, Ryan, let's look to tonight, Tennessee and LSU. What about this matchup favors Tennessee, and, and what does LSU do for Tennessee that you know could throw some wrenches into the game plan? 
Well, I think it bodes well for Tennessee because they have Chase Dolan. They're on the mound, the SEC pitcher of the year, who he took. I'm sure a lot of the listeners remember Tony Vitello getting kicked out of that Alabama game earlier this year. What had happened right before that is that a line drive had come back and struck Chase Dolander on the right arm. They really were, were worried that night that it was going to be a fracture. They avoided that. He was out 17 days, and ever since he's come back, he's been near unhittable. Uh, he's just been fantastic. But to me, that's what makes this, this matchup tonight so exciting because LSU's offense has been absolutely humming, and it's probably as hot as any in the SEC coming into this matchup. So I uh, I think LSU, if anyone's going to be able to give Dolan their issues, I think it's this LSU batting batting order and what they can do. And if they can get a handful of runs in this game, and I, I think it's going to be really, really competitive. And well, I'll tell you what I'm most excited about this matchup for is that Tennessee and LSU, I think, have the two most fans this week down in Hoover. That's the normal. That's the norm for LSU. I can still remember back in 2019, my first time coming to cover this tournament and see all the LSU RVs and just being like, what in the world is this? And then even last year covering it when LSU lost early, how many LSU fans there were. And those, those Tiger fans were really rowdy last night in that Kentucky game. Tennessee fans were rowdy uh, in the Vandy game yesterday. It's going to make for a really, really good environment with, I think, probably two of the three best teams in the SEC right now. Texas A&M also playing really, really well. But uh, three team, or two teams that uh, I think are poised to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament in the next few weeks, it, it should make for some really fun baseball tonight. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it. Uh, you know, LSU. You, you, you talked about the fans that we definitely love to uh, to throw a party no matter where they go. So definitely be a fun atmosphere tonight between the Vols and the Tigers. Ryan, one more question I have for you. It's obvious being the number one team in the country and winning fifty games this year. No matter what happens in this SEC tournament, not only is Tennessee playing in a regional, they're hosting one. So walk me through what that's going to be like next weekend in Knoxville and you know how deep of a run do you think this team can make? Yeah, I think uh, the regional, uh, one of the biggest strengths of the Tennessee team, and it doesn't apply to necessarily a one-game situation like tonight in the SEC tournament, but one of their greatest strengths is they have incredible pitching depth, and that bodes really, really well for an SEC tournament. That bodes really, really well for a regional where you're playing four games in three or four days and I think that's going to be massive for them in the regional, and it should be a really good environment at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. It's still a very small uh, stadium. They're looking to add more seats. I think it'll probably be uh, full renovations coming after the 2023 baseball season, but it's going to be a hot ticket. It's been a hot ticket all year to get into that place, and that'll certainly be the case the next weekend in the regional, and then again in the Super Regional if, if they are able to make it, and I think they will given their pitching depth like I just talked about. And Yeah, I think like you said, it's been one of the better teams and since in, since the SEC expanded to 12 teams back in 1993 baseball season. And I think there's a lot of pressure on Tennessee to get back to Omaha, uh, no doubt that. And then once they get there, to make a really, really deep run. But baseball is an unpredictable game in the Super Regional, just a, a best-of-three series. Really anything can happen in that. So I certainly wouldn't – I'm not penciling in Tennessee to make it to Omaha yet. I will pencil them in to make it to a Super Regional. I just think they're going to have too much depth. Uh, on the mound for anyone to be able to hang with them there. But once they get to a regional, anything can happen. I mean, you go back to the Arkansas team last year that was number one in the country for the vast majority of the season. They lose to North Carolina State. Or you go back to the 2013 Vandy team, who has the best uh, SEC record in the history of the conference, got swept in two games against Louisville in the regional or Super Regional. So really anything can happen that weekend of baseball. 
Uh, I'm just hoping to, to get the chance to go back to Omaha and cover another, another World Series because, man, that's a, a really, really cool event. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, really appreciate you taking the time to, to give us some insight into the Vols. Have a great time tonight covering the game, and uh, who knows, maybe we'll talk to you down the line. Yeah, for sure. Maybe uh, another matchup in uh, in Omaha uh, in the similar round. That would be that would be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, that would that would be that would be a great conversation. For sure. All right, appreciate you guys having me on, and we'll be looking forward to to what could be a late night in Hoover tonight. Appreciate you, Ryan. For sure. There he goes, Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. Congratulations, Mister Martin Duplichet. He is the winner of the first set of two tickets to Downtown Rising on Saturday, June 4th, featuring the Cold War kids. James, should we go ahead and pose the second trivia question now? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. 1996 College World Series. LSU won the national title. They beat Miami on a walk-off home run. Who hit that home run? hit the homer? 706-0111. First person to call in with the correct answer gets two tickets to downtown rising. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville. Richard's has some of the best boiled crawfish, but also serves up boiled shrimp and crabs, fried and grilled seafood, pull boys, and a seafood buffet. Go sign up for the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. For a chance to score that $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville. We'll take a timeout right here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. When we return, we'll talk the NBA. Warriors winning big last night. Can the Celtics join them? You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles at Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh here on your Friday fun show. It is 43 minutes after 4 o'clock, about 10 minutes away from the Cajuns and South Alabama kicking off in Montgomery. Here is your starting lineup leading off. Connor Kimple will play DH second and playing center field as Max Marshock. Batting third and in left is Carson Rockefort. Batting fourth and at third base is Tyler Robertson. Batting fifth and at short is Kyle DeBarge. Sixth and in right field is Heath Hood. Seventh and behind the dish is Julian Brock. First base batting eighth, C.J. Willis. Second base batting ninth is Jonathan Brandon. And your starter on the mound is Brandon Telly. This is a game that the Cajuns can win. They took two out of three against the Jags. In the regular season. And, you know, I was thinking about it earlier this week when the first announcement was made that the tournament was going to go to single elimination. I wasn't a fan of it. 
But the longer that I've sat here and thought about it, it kind of plays into the Cajuns' favor. Because they don't quite have the pitching depth that they normally do. The offense is red hot. And now with it being a three-day single elimination tournament, it becomes a weekend series. You got to go in three games. I think it plays into the Cajuns' favor. We'll get James's opinion right after this phone call on the hotline. T joins us. What's going on, T? How are you? Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's Friday. I hear you, right? I cannot complain. What you got? Uh, Well, if anybody can beat Tennessee right now, I think it's LSU. Um, if the bats stay hot and... If the starting pitcher tonight can give us three innings, we stand a chance. What are your thoughts? You think all he has to give you is three innings? That's right. We can go to bullpen. Oh, I was well, thinking. Uh, I, I was uh, thinking uh, you would want six innings out of Ty Floyd. Well, yeah, but when was the last time we had more than three? Besides Mikhail. Uh, a, Not often, buddy. It's a good so, point. That's a good point. Yeah, if he can give us a good three, if he give us six, we win in the game. Huh? You got him? Yeah. No, I. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't disagree with you. Yeah, that's my thoughts. And you know what? Uh, about Doty and uh, Barry being out, these guys have stepped up. Uh, Josh Pearson and the catcher McManus. I mean, if they can get on base for Cranford and uh, Bianco, yep. they can just bunt them guys over. Right. I'd even trust them to sacrifice bunt the yep. run in. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And get back to Cruz. You know what? You know? It, it, it surprised me. I was watching the game last night, and when Pearson hit that home run, that was his fifth hit of the game. He was the first LSU player ever to get five hits in an SEC tournament game. I was shocked when I heard that. That blew my mind. I watched that, so I was shocked when I heard that. I'm like, with all the guys that we had since the 90s and so on and so forth, right? crazy. Yeah, I was... His home run was a bomb. Oh, yeah. That was was a no-doubter. Oh, yeah. Landing it in the trees. Yeah, that that ball definitely wasn't coming back. Well, all right, guys. I appreciate your time, and I hope you have a great, great Memorial weekend and be safe. Thank you, T. You as well, my man. Okay, buddy. So, yeah, Josh Pearson goes 5-for-5 five five last night. It was the first time an LSU player had done it in the SEC tournament. I thought that was absolutely mind-blowing. But anyways, James, back to the Cajuns. Do you think that the single elimination format plays into their favor? I feel like it should because now there's less games and considering the Cages don't have the biggest or best bullpen, but you've got good offense, I think that should work in your favor. You do have good offense. Carson Rockefort's batting average sitting at a clean 392. God, Julian Brock at 306, Heath Hood at 341. TR 319 and Connor Kimple at 321. Your lowest batting average in today's lineup is 213. 
On the other side, you're going to have to look out for Miles Simington, who's hitting 386. And then Joe Sutton right behind him at 333. Their 3-4 combo is going to be who you're going to have to watch out for if you're the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. James, have we gotten a winner for the second trivia question? Yes, it was actually T. Was it? Yeah, that's why the, that's why the uh, phone call I was with them for so long was so extended. Good job, T. That Warren Morris hit that that ball over the right field wall back in 1996. I remember meeting Warren Morris when I was a kid. Uh, he was at some maybe it was a book signing or something that my dad brought me to. <laughs> Just one of those random book signings. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, as, as you do, you go to book signings. Well, right, right. I, I, I'm for the life of me, I don't remember why Warren Morris was there because I don't think he wrote the book. <laughs> so I'm not sure what he was doing there. But uh, maybe, maybe it was about LSU baseball, and they just said, "Hey, you know, you're historical. Go, yeah, go be the face. Go, go sign. Go sign right. those books." I, I don't know, but uh, I, I remember, I remember meeting him when I was like 10 years old. Anyways. Like I said, Louisiana and South Alabama getting ready to get underway. Tonight, also, LSU and Tennessee will have that game for you right here on these airwaves. How about Kentucky taking out Vandy? 10-2. to So now Kentucky moving into the winner's portion of the loser's bracket. I know that sounds kind of redundant. But they will play the huh? I don't know how that's going to work. This this SEC bracket is confusing me. Teams are are flying all over the bracket, and I don't know who's supposed to be where. It broke your brain. Well, so Florida won this morning against Arkansas. Okay, and they were in the losers bracket. Okay, and so they just moved one spot over, right? In, in the bracket, because you won, so you moved over. Okay. The game under them is Vandy-Kentucky. Kentucky wins. Kentucky goes to the slot at the bottom. Like, all the way at the bottom, by the winners. Okay. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm, more I, of a, I'm more of a gotta-see-it person. Well, right, right. It, so it, try to imagine this is making my brain hurt now. Come, come look at it during the break. I will. We'll take a timeout right here. When we return, we'll wrap up hour number one and get you set for what's going to be a fun hour number two. Our guy Ross Jackson's stopping by. Crush time with me, guys, and mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 55 minutes after 4 o'clock on your Friday. James, the Astros will begin a nine-game road trip tonight. And it starts against five names this team. 
I don't know if I can take five names rubbing it rubbing it in again. Well, you well, you poked the bear last time. Yeah, and that's why I've treaded lightly on poking the bear again. Yeah, I've, I've been waiting for you to be like, they'll take on five names this team. No, not going to do that again. Learn the lesson. Uh, so they got three against the Mariners. They're going to play three against the Athletics. And then they're going to go to Kansas City and play three against the Royals. And then you ready for this, James? Next Monday, June the 6th, they're back at home to play the Mariners again. God, we love the Mariners. We do. We love the Mariners. We love the Mariners. <laughs> They're going to play all their games against the Mariners before the All-Star break. Get them over with. I mean, that is... <laughs> get, get, just get them over with. That is... Which I like. I like that. I like where you can kind of just kind of have those games be in a period of time and you just get them over with and you just kind of have it in sections instead of a... Yeah. You have one series to begin the season... Then it won't happen again for another month and a half. Then maybe you have it back in two weeks, but then again you won't have it for another month and a half to two months. It's kind of like it's a lot. It's a lot of spacing, and I'd rather kind of just have it in clumps, like how they do it in the NBA. Yeah, to kind of prevent the traveling, you kind of make the matchups quick within each other. That way, it's like all right, well we get our series at home, and then we'll go to your place, and then we're done. Yeah, that's fair. I like that. That that's not a that's not a bad way of, of looking at it. Um you know, we're gonna dive into your Celtics in in hour number two. We'll go ahead and do that. Let's take a timeout. Hour number one has come and gone. Hour number two gonna be absolutely jam-packed. Do not go anywhere. Crunch time with me, Gaz and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of two. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez. James Mesh here with you. James, an hour in. How you feeling, bud? Feeling fine. We doing all right? Feeling dandy. Hey, that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. In case you didn't know, that's what I like to hear. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns are underway in Montgomery, playing South Alabama today. So far, bot, top of the first, nobody out. South Alabama already has runners on first and second. So we will keep you updated on that and the, the happenings in Montgomery. Also, the NBA, the Warriors taking down the Dallas Mavericks last night by the final score of 120-110. They will move on to the NBA Finals for what feels like, I don't know the exact number, but it feels like the bajillionth time, um, behind 32 points from Clay Thompson. Eight threes. Game five, Clay came out. And he came out big. James, what did you see from this game? 
I saw a usual closeout game by the Warriors. I mean, the they were actually the Mavericks. That is, they were actually able to shoot pretty well from three. They weren't shooting a poor twenty percent. They were actually forty percent from three. Which, if you were looking straight at the stats, you would think, okay, they had a good chance to win. But it, it just felt like the whole game itself, the Warriors were in control. They were up by. 20 I think at halftime they were up like I think 69 to 47 yeah, they at were. half so like they had a comfortable lead and I mean they kind of let the foot off the gas a little bit but it, it wasn't anything significant they still won by 10 pretty comfortably yeah it was 69 52 at the half but I mean even so and then the warrior the Mavs came back with 32 in the third to kind of close the gap but in the end the Warriors just too much for Luca to handle on his own, you you would you would say Steph probably had an off game, considering you see him go five for seventeen, like he he shot thirty percent and he was two for seven from three, only had fifteen points. But if you watched it, you, I mean, you didn't need him to shoot very well because you had other players like Clay going off. You had Jordan Poole who was very efficient. Draymond even had seventeen points. Like yeah, I mean, you haven't seen other, a performance out of him like that. In yeah, a while. You, you don't see him score like that. Wiggins was also pretty efficient. He didn't make any of his threes, but it's okay. Kevon Looney, he got eighteen boards and ten assists. He had a double double himself. It's like just because Steph didn't shoot the lights out, he was still good offensively because he made the right plays with his nine assists. He was able to hit people on fast breaks and in the half court offense for the easy buckets. For the, for the open bucket. So it's it, it didn't even worry me because initially I looked at it and I was like, you even asked. You were like, well, didn't Steph score like 23-plus? I was like, he actually only scored 15. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it was a weird game for the Warriors because they got so many contributions from so many different people. I mean, you know, Kevon Looney, 10 points, 18 boards. When was the last time you saw a performance like that out of him? Wiggins had eighteen and ten. Like they yeah. just had, they Raymond just had the stats flipped. Seventeen, and he had six boards and nine assists as well. And then, I mean, Clay, I, I can't remember the last time he had thirty points. And granted, it's because he's been injured for the last two years. But yeah, I mean, the the a performance like that out of him, I didn't expect. Luca only scoring six points in the first half. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, he finished with twenty eight, nine, and six, but. I mean, he only had six points in the first half. That's not that's not optimal. He also shot thirty four percent, thirty three percent. Yeah, only going ten for twenty eight. He only made three of his thirteen three point attempts. And then last night was a strange occurrence where he actually got some legit help. Yeah, Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie did came in with twenty six. Hella efficient. Not seven for twelve. He knocked down almost all of his free throws. And he was he was really good from behind the arc. He made five out of seven, like yeah. getting twenty six, and then Luca had twenty eight. It's just Reggie Bullock. He only took four shots. Jalen Brunson only going three. three for ten is not optimal. Yeah, and Finney Smith. It, that's about what you expect from yeah. him. You don't expect him to light the world on fire. You feel like thirteen is kind of modest, but they had they had a bunch of people play. I mean. Cleaver. Yep. 
he only put up seven points. You can you would need a little more out of him, and a little more out of Brunson. You you would hope Brunson would score eighteen to twenty two, but he only put up ten. Yep. So the Golden State Warriors go to the NBA Finals once again. They await their opponent, which could be decided tonight between the Celtics and the Heat, 7.30, on the four-letter network from the Boston Garden. James, will will the four-leaf or the three-leaf clover... Yeah, it's weird. It's the three-leaf clover. Will they get it done? Now now take, take your green-colored glasses off. Be, be, what's the word I'm looking for? Impartial. Do they get it done? Here's how I've seen it. So, I think all three of us, me, you, and Ray, we were all talking about it. Before game one and after game one, we were like, we all think Celtics are going to win in six, right? Yeah. We, we were saying that. We were saying that game even after game one. I, I had said the other day, it, it might even have been yesterday as well, but... I feel like as much as they've looked terrible, the Heat have looked terrible offensively with how bad they've shot from behind the arc, shooting under 16% last game even, had a lot of offers from Max Struess and from Kyle Lowry, and you didn't have Tyler Hero. And Jimmy Butler just feels like he hasn't been the same. I have... I still have that natural itch that they could just somehow steal one because it's like it feels like they're due for a good game after having their last two and a half games offensively just be horrendous. More two than two and a half, but they were really turning up in the first quarter of game four or game three, I'm sorry. But I'm also getting the feeling that, look, it's back in Boston. They've started to figure it out. Jason Tatum feels like he's overcome his injury. Jalen Brown started to figure out at the end of the game that, hey, maybe I don't dribble so damn much and stop trying to spin move into a three-man three traffic and then lose the ball and have seven turnovers for the game. I think he started to figure out, like, okay, maybe three dribbles at most. Otherwise, yeah. I'm just going to catch and shoot. And you saw in the second half. As soon as he stopped putting the ball on the on the floor so much, he was a lot more efficient. Yeah, he was. So it's like the fact that they've started to figure it out, and everybody's going to be day to day. But you you got Marcus. You haven't heard anything about Rob Williams probably being out. So that's a good sign that hey, don't have to worry about that. He'll probably play. Everybody seems healthy. Whereas on the Heat side, haven't heard anything about Tyler Hero. But at the same time, Kyle Lowry hasn't looked the same. Jimmy Butler hasn't looked the same. Max Strews can't throw it in the ocean. And I said I was worried about Duncan Robinson. You very easily could have him erupt for 33 and him be the hero of the game and bring it back to Miami. But from what I've seen, he hasn't been able to make it from three either. Right. Yeah. No, I noticed this in game five. Miami looks exhausted. They just look like here's here's the thing and this is yeah you go you go if Miami finds a way to win two more and beats Boston they're getting swept by Golden State 
they're done. No Dude, doubt. There, there's no gas left in the tank for them. That's why I firmly believe Boston closes it out tonight. You're home in Boston. You you heard Jason Tatum talk about how they're not going to treat this like a typical game six. They're going to treat well. Got to treat it like a game, game seven. You got to treat it like yeah. You got to have that sense of urgency. You have to win. I think there's just a lot of factors that are going to play the Celtics way before they play Miami's way. No doubt. And look look at it because you said they're exhausted. Remember what I said before the series started? How will this play out? Who like will the team that's maybe a little more fresh but hasn't been battle tested will win or will it be the team that has been battle tested and has faced the worst? And I, I think, I think the one that's that's like taking taking the gauntlet is the one that's taking it because, yeah, Philly's a good team, and yeah, the Hawks are good. Or or they played the Raptors, the first series. Either way, yeah. I mean, but their their two previous matchups, it it, it was just too easy. Yeah, because there there's only three yeah, or four they, they really tested. good teams. They weren't tested. They played the lighter half of the Eastern Conference yep. in these finals so far. And Boston, though they swept Brooklyn, Brooklyn was no pushover, even though Kyrie and Katie were pretty much, I wouldn't necessarily say fully getting locked up, but you really took them away for the most part of the game, and you forced the other role players to have to step up. And though some of them were pretty good, it definitely wasn't enough. But you had to play somebody, you had to play Brook, Brooklyn with KD and Kyrie, and then you've had to play the Bucks with Giannis and Drew Holiday. Whereas all you really had to do as you were Miami was just make sure that Joel Embiid didn't kill you. You weren't worried about James Harden because James Harden just, he looks like he's 57 years old trying to play a pickup game with 20-year-olds. Right. Right. He only has his one move at this point. It's the double step back three. He can't run and jump anymore. Maybe if maybe he gets it back if he starts eating healthier and doesn't look so fat. But Jesus, James. I mean <laughs> <laughs> That's I, wow. I got I gotta be honest. You, you do. He looks you he do. looks out of shape. I, I don't disagree. The only thing he can do at this point. Is just take I'm, his double kinda, step back three and shoot it. He I'm, can't drive. Anytime he tries to dri- drive into into traffic, he's lost his handle as well, so that he gets easily stripped. All he can do, like if you, ever, anytime you watch James Harden play in this in the Sixers play, or even when he was in Brooklyn, what did he do? It was just this classic boom boom shot. He was more of a decoy than anything. Exactly. He was more of a decoy than anything. And he's too ball reliant. Yep. He can't he can't do anything off ball. It's true. Very, very true. Update from Montgomery. Louisiana got out of trouble in the top half. Come up in the bottom half, and this is how it goes. Connor Kimple gets hit by a pitch. Max Marshock reaches on a bunt single. Carson Rockefort with the RBI single to get Kimple home. And just now, Tyler Robertson gets to first on a RBI fielder's choice. Rockefort was out at second. They were trying to turn a double play. Unsuccessful. Louisiana now leads 2 to nothing in the bottom of the first. 
with only one out. Runner on first base. And then Kyle just singled into center field. And he sure did. And we still only got one out. He sure did. The You're, you're following on the stat broadcast, aren't you? I, indeed I am. Yeah, that, that's a little bit ahead of the stream. Because I've got I've got it I've got the broadcast pulled up in the corner of my my laptop. Sad so broadcast I'm, over stream over live game stream. I mean, hey, you do you, dude. You do you. As a reminder, today is the day that you were going to sign up for the game clubhouse. Not only is it free, but you're going to get the chance to enter to win awesome free prizes like a one hundred and fifty dollar gift certificate to Mister Lester's Steakhouse. James, you ever eaten at Mister Lester's? No, but. It- with how much we've talked about it, it's like, man, I'm a it's, big steak guy. I got to try it sooner or later. It's delicious. You love it? I mean, mouth, absolutely. This next line, it says mouthwatering steaks cooked to perfection. Couldn't be more true. Just absolutely perfect steaks, great sides, seafood, the whole nine. All facts, no printer? Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. The only way to score that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's, however, is by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. Going to take a time out when we return. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh. We'll give you another update on the Cajuns. We'll get you set for McNeese tonight as they try to clinch the Southland Conference Championship for the third consecutive year. And we'll talk some NHL scores. That and so much more. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. God, if you don't watch our simulcast, you are really missing out. I dance on there at least three times a day. If you want to watch it here in Acadiana, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. I don't even dare him to do it. He just does it out of impulse. Uh, nope. Now, the that that beat especially, it he just, he, lo- he loves that song. It just gets me. I don't know. So James, did you know that Brandon Talley was a bowler? No, he set like him up. he like he was like a like no. he played for like his high school team. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying he's a bowler because he's setting him up to lay him down. Oh my god! Yes, sir. <laughs> that was a good one, and you know it. It's 2 nothing. top of the second, one out for Louisiana. Over, against South Alabama, they will play the winner of ULM and Texas State tomorrow. On the other side of I-10, the Cowboys of McNeese will look to close out their Southland Conference Championship Series tonight over Southeastern. Six o'clock, first pitch from the Joe, coming up in about half an hour between the Cowboys and the Lions. If McNeese wins, they will clinch their third consecutive Southland Conference Tournament Championship and punch their ticket to a regional, which, according to D1 Baseball, looks like it's going to be in Baton Rouge. You ready for this, James? Listen to this regional. 
LSU, Texas Tech, Louisiana Tech, and McNeese. That's a pretty good regional. So your first game on Friday, your first game on regional Friday would be LSU versus McNeese. Hey. Yeah. Who doesn't love that? Yeah. Who, who doesn't who, want that? Who, who doesn't want Tigers Cowboys? Who that man. That would be some fun. And then anybody can beat Louisiana Tech. And that would be fine. Um let's see what else is going on in the world of sports. The NHL. Yeah, let's talk some NHL. Last night the Oilers and the Flames, man, this game was something else. So in the first period, at the end of the first period, James, it was one nothing. Okay? Calgary scores, I'm sorry, not Calgary, Edmonton scores four goals in the second period. Calgary answers with three more to tie it back up at four. Nobody scores in the third period, so it goes to overtime. And then who else but Connor McDavid to put it in the back of the net for Edmonton and win the series in Calgary. So Calgary and Edmonton are in the same province of Canada. And so that has become such a rivalry over the years they they call it the Battle of Alberta. And so for Connor McDavid to put Edmonton in the Western Conference Finals for the first time in a long time and to do it in Calgary, God, that had to be... That'd be like the Saints winning the NFC Championship game in Atlanta. That would be the comparison. Imagine the Saints playing the NFC Championship against the Falcons in Atlanta and beating them. James, how would you react if that ever happened? The Saints beating Atlanta in Atlanta in the NFC Championship the game. NFC Championship. <laughs> that would be so great. Oh. Well, it would it would suck that they would be the one hosting, but well, but yeah, I I get it. Like just crushing their dreams. And then going to the Super Bowl as a result of it? Absolutely. We'll love it. Absolutely. The Astros will play tonight, like we talked about earlier, on Newstalk 98.5. They will play the Seattle Mariners. Their batting order tonight, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Yuli Gurriel, Kyle Tucker, Jeremy Pena, Jose Siri, Maltine Maldonado. Your one, two, three, Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, four, five, six, Alvarez, Guriel, Tucker, seven, eight, nine, Pena, Siri, Maldonado. All right. Quick update on the Charles Schwab challenge from the Colonial in Fort Worth. We talked about it earlier, but I'll give you another update. Patrick Reed still sitting at eight under. Scotty Scheffler has joined the top of the leaderboard at 9-under. He's 5-under for the day. So now a three-way tie for the lead heading into your weekend. Jordan Spieth hanging tough at 5-under. Victor Hovland and Cameron Davis at 6-under. It's going to be a fun weekend in Fort Worth. You know, can 
Scotty Scheffler find a way to win this tournament? Can Mito Pereira, who, for lack of better words, blew the PGA Championship this past weekend, he's sitting at four under, five strokes back. Can he make some noise tomorrow on move-in day? Lucas Glover, he's been around for a while. He's at three under. You know, you got a lot of household names right there in the top 50 that can make a big run at this. It, that That's what I love about golf. You, you set up dramatic final days of tournaments and you just sit back and watch it unfold. It's absolutely incredible. Guess what I got? What do you have? So you know that joke you made earlier about with the with bowling? Yeah. Hey, thank you. That was a good one. That was a good one. All right. Yesterday, Dennis Allen spoke with the media after Saints OTAs. And one thing that people have been asking a lot of questions about is his joint practices with the Green Bay Packers. Here's Dennis Allen explaining why. There's a couple of factors that went into that, you know, going up to Green Bay, Wisconsin and getting out of this heat down here is, is a big factor. Um, you know, and then obviously getting an opportunity to work against, uh, you know, a Super Bowl contending team, um, work against, um, you know, a guy like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, so there's a lot of things about that that uh, were intriguing to us. And, and so we're excited about, you know, getting up there and going to work against those guys. Also, he provided an update on Michael Thomas and where he stands in his recovery. I think he's doing well in his rehab. He's not ready yet, but he's here. He's rehabbing. He's getting himself better, and we're certainly anxious to get him out here. He's there. That's all that matters. That's a a big first step, and the Saints hope to have him ready in time for training camp. The Game Clubhouse, as we've reminded you multiple times, it's free to join You're not going to be spammed with crazy emails. And like we've said, you're going to get the opportunity to enter to win free stuff. Who doesn't love free? How about a $25 gift certificate for Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou? If you want a good meal, but you don't want to go to the quality of Mr. Lester's or to the luxury of Mr. Lester's, Mabel's Kitchen is the place for you. If you're hungry for comfort food like fried mozzarella sticks or a barbecue pork sandwich, sign up for the Game Clubhouse today so you can win a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen in Cypress Bayou Casino. We'll take a timeout right here. When we return, Ross Jackson, our guy from the Locked On Saints Network. We're going to talk OTAs. We're going to talk Michael Thomas, Jameis Winston, and will the Saints sign a running back? Should they? We'll talk about it all. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 27, 2001. Five time British Open champion Tom Watson wins the first of six Champions Tour major titles with one stroke at the Senior PGA Championship at Ridgewood Country Club in New Jersey. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 
Crunch time with me, guys, Mesh 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh on your Friday fun show before a longer weekend. Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints Network joining us to talk all things black and gold. Ross, what's going on, my friend? How are you? Hey, hey, buddy. Doing great, man. Glad to be here with you. Appreciate you having me on. Hope you're doing all right. Yeah, man, doing well. Uh, Got to love a, a hot Friday afternoon in southwest Louisiana. <laughs> but no. Ain't nothing like it. Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, which kind of leads me into question number one. Uh, DA spent some time yesterday talking about the reasoning behind hosting joint practices with the Packers, which is it's not a far-fetched you know, concept. Teams host joint practices every offseason. But one of the biggest reasons, he said, was to get the guys out of the heat. How important do you think is, that is at this time of the year? I think it's really, I mean, it's a very important piece. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, the, the week before that, Zach Shreef was actually talking about uh, Trevor Penning over at the uh, Saints Hall of Fame Golf Classic. And one of the things that he mentioned was, you know, you go from practicing out in the heat and adjusting for just adjusting to the heat. And, of course, with Zach Shreve having played a football at Northwestern, he knew a thing or two about the, the adjustments it took to go from a cold-weather team to you know play, to practicing in New Orleans. And he was kind of speaking of Trevor Penning in that situation to where like, you get used to playing in the heat, and then all of a sudden you go into the Superdome, and then you're like a superhero because you never get tired. But at the same time, you know, the, piece, the other piece of it is you know, when you're not having to deal with that heat and you're not having to deal with all that, it, it does maximize what you're able to do in the offseason while also mitigating some risk, right? Where you could potentially end up, you know, overheating or, you know, even just the potential uh, injuries that come with being dehydrated by that. Uh, you know, it makes you feel like it's kind of weird, the idea of getting dehydrated while you're, you know, surrounded by so much water in the air, but it happens, right? And you see it all the time. And sometimes that contributes to injuries. And so when you can get a week or so out of that, that environment and out of those conditions, you get the benefit of, being in those conditions in the first place, but then being able to maybe extend a little bit the longevity and health of the rest of the team throughout the off season uh, before you get into the regular season. So I do think that it's a very important piece that you know the Saints pay attention to a lot of different ways, a lot of different things that will allow them to be able to back maximize their preps on going into that 2022 season. Now, staying on the topic of OTAs, yesterday a big topic of conversation was the amount of players that were absent. Now, obviously OTAs are voluntary, but you know people love to make it a story when you know Alvin Kamara isn't there or 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 whatever. How much weight do you put on that? I don't put any weight on it. If I'm being completely honest, and, and it's not to diminish people that do or anything like that. It's just from my perspective, it's not a huge deal. Like I'm sorry, you're not going to get me to be you know uh, concerned about Alvin Kamara and Demario Davis not being at practice. Like, those guys are going to be fine. And especially if we look at the last two years where, and it was for different reasons, right? It was because of the health and safety protocols and the NFL and the NFLPA kind of just, frankly, doing a bad job around getting health and safety protocols uh, you know, set up in a way that the players are going to be comfortable going into the regular season each of the last two seasons. But the Saints, as well as many other teams, spent their OTAs, training camp, not training camp, sorry, but their OTAs, away from the facility getting ready for the season and did a really good job doing that. And so I think that at this point, I think that's just where the NFL is headed, that as long as these OTAs are going to be voluntary, that you're just going to see lesser and lesser participation there. 
And so instead of focusing on the players that aren't there, which I don't think is any type of, you know, statement about Dennis Allen as a head coach for the organization, where they're headed, anything like that, I think it's really just players that are, they, they have a process now to get ready for the season away from the facility. And as long as they're going to be able to do that, then they should do that. And I think that the, the big story really around training camp is, or excuse me, OTAs are the players that are there. And so when you see players like Jameis Winston coming, you know, seven months off of an ACL injury out there, moving the way that he's moving, throwing the ball the way that he's throwing the ball, getting involved in practice, basically just making sure that he's establishing himself as a leader in, in an offseason where there is no competition for him, right? That everyone knows this is Jameis Winston's team. Those are the stories for me, not necessarily the fact that like players now have a process by which to get ready for the season away from the facility. Talking with Russ Jackson from the Locked On Saints Network, you know, another story that I've been watching is Chris Olave and the rest of the rookies. I mean, just talk to me about how, how they've looked through the first couple of days of OTAs. I think one of the things that really stands out about Chris Olave, obviously, like his movement ability, his speed, all of those things are going to stand out for sure. But, you know, Jameis Winston spoke very highly of him around the idea that he's constantly communicating. He's constantly coming back. He's constantly talking about, you know, making sure that he is giving the quarterback what it is that the quarterback is looking for, what he needs to adjust, what he could do better, all of these things. And I think that when you're the number one, the top draft selection in your draft class, and you have that kind of an attitude to where you're coming in and you're constantly communicating, checking in, doing all that, that sets a tone for the rest of the rookies around as well. Like It's weird to talk about a rookie in a leadership role sometimes, but I think that in this type of a situation where these young players are mostly going to be expected to come in and have an impact, even some undrafted free agents have the ability to be able to potentially do that this season, that when you see Chris Olave leading the way doing that, I think that that's huge. I think that you look at other guys like Trevor Penning, as well as, of course, Alante Taylor, uh, who were, you know, also the early day, either day one or early day two selections. Those guys are, you know, NFL ready bodies in terms of their, you know, their build. They stand out, all of that. And so I think that they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I love the fact that, for instance, Alante Taylor is getting the opportunity to work this early with um, Tyron Matthew in the backfield and everything. Because Tyron Matthew, even though having just joined the team, he's out there for OTAs, and that's great. And I think that that is something that will allow these young rookies, something that we haven't seen, something that we haven't seen over the course of the past few years because of the NFL's off-season schedule being impacted by health and safety protocols and all, is that these rookies are going to be able to go into training camp with groundwork already established so that they can just come out and try to prove their value, as opposed to the past couple of seasons where we've seen rookies have to go out there lay the groundwork during training camp, and then try to use the back half of training camp to establish their value, they should be able to hit the ground running with this structure. Yeah, you know, that was going to be my next question. You know, Tyron Matthew being at OTAs already, you know, how how crucial is that to have that veteran presence for those young guys, like you said, like Elante Taylor? Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic, right? Like, these guys are now getting to work with the player that's going to be making very likely – making a lot of calls and communication to the rest of the secondary. They're learning that vocabulary. They're learning, you know, what is it that one of the best players in, you know, the NFL when it comes to that position, what is it that he's looking for? What is it that he's seeing? What is it that he's seeing that I'm not seeing? And now they get the opportunity to go and ask him those questions. Kind of the same thing like what you saw with Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins a few years ago talked about how, yeah, you know, uh, I get a lot of young guys that come up to me and ask me questions about what it is that I'm seeing, but I go up to them and I ask them questions about what they're seeing too. And all we're all, you know, and he talks about how veteran to rookie, rookie to veteran, like everybody's learning from one another. 
And I think that Tyron Matthew carries that, will carry that tradition on, but he'll give you somebody that, you know, is really seeing the entire field develop in front of him. And the, the benefit for young guys like Paulson Adebo and, you know, Alante Taylor to be able to get in early with them when they do, it, it's really, you know, impactful. And it's obviously, you know, very, um, it's a big deal for them in terms of their ability to be able to learn the vocabulary of the defense, learn what it is that the defense wants from them and how to operate within it. Chatting with Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints Network. Ross, who are some players that have really impressed over the last couple of days at OTAs that maybe some Saints fans aren't really thinking about, might not be on their radar? Yeah, I'll definitely talk a little bit about, uh, you know, this tight end roster, this tight end depth chart this year is going to be really interesting to watch how it unfolds over the course of camp. You have returning guys like Nick Vanette, uh, Adam Troutman, and then, of course, Juwan Johnson. Taysom Hill is supposed to shift his um, his focus over to tight end, but we, we, we very likely won't see him until training camp at the earliest, depending upon how long it takes for him to come back from that Liz Frank injury, which, you know, those always vary in terms of recovery time. But now you've got a couple of new faces in the building. Uh, J.P. Holtz, who's a little bit of a H-back type. You can line up in the backfield and in line, solid blocker. But then you have these other two guys, Kahale Waring, Waring, excuse me, who the Saints just signed this offseason, who was one of my draft crushes back in 2020 coming out of San Diego State. And then um, undrafted free agent Lucas Kroll out of Pittsburgh, who's like six foot six, 250-some pounds, but runs, moves really smoothly, cuts really well, runs good routes. And so Lucas Kroll is somebody that has stood out so far and I think will continue to stand out over the course of training camp or you know at least getting into the preseason and he'll be one to watch because i don't know that that tight end room is solidified at all i don't think that there's anybody that you can point to and say this person right now for sure is the starter you can project the starter at this time but i don't know that we really know exactly where the saints are headed at that position just yet and so that would definitely be a player that i would keep an eye out on because he stood out so far already during camp his movement ability everything that you see from him especially at his size is really impressive and so he draws your eye quite a bit, and he's a good pass catcher. So he would be one that I would watch. And then one other on the offensive side is just going to be trying to keep up with um, Abram Smith, the running back out of Baylor that the Saints brought in as an undrafted free agent. He was a guy that a lot of uh, you know draft experts had like a fifth-round draft grade on that ended up going undrafted, probably because he's a little bit older is very likely what happened there. But he was a standout running back for Baylor in the one year that he actually got to play running back. He was recruited as running back, and he was moved to linebacker because they just simply didn't have enough linebackers. So this guy you know, gets hit one year at his natural position and goes off for 1,600 yards and 12 rushing touchdowns, and now he's in New Orleans. And I think he'll be one to watch because that running back position, that running back depth chart, is going to be another one that's interesting to watch over the course of the offseason and see how all of that sort of shakes out. Yeah, you know, that was going to bring that that brought me into my next question. Abram Smith, he's kind of been a guy that's caught a lot of people's eye and, you know, obviously the conversation as you just talked about it, there's so much uncertainty within the running back room, you know, mm-hmm. especially if Kamara gets suspended for any length of time throughout this season. You know, are are the Saints still looking in the free agent market to maybe shore up that running back position, especially now that guys like Sony Michelle and Daryl Williams are off the board? Yeah, I think it's safe to say that they, that they will be, and maybe they wait until they get a little bit closer to training camp as opposed to you know bringing those guys in for OTAs, especially with that position being one that takes on as many injuries as it does. 
I wouldn't be surprised to see them wait a little bit on that one. And we know that the, the two positions that the Saints always bring in veterans are running back and linebacker. I mean, they just run through and like, try to bring in as many veterans in that position. Lately. Now we'll see how much that changes as the Sean Payton era uh, exits, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of that. But, you know, if they, if they feel like the legal process is going to move as slowly for Alvin Kamara as it did for, let's say, Marshawn Lattimore last year, and everything, and obviously, like details around all of that are still, you know, uncertain. And so, I think if they think that that process is going to move that slowly, then maybe the the public perception of how much there is a need there may not necessarily match the organization's perception. But they did try to sign Sony Michelle, so you know, I think that reportedly. And so, with that being the case, I wouldn't be surprised to see them look at some potential veterans that they could bring in, maybe some reunions with guys like Latavius Murray as well as. Um, uh, Devontae Freeman, but you know they had the reunion now with uh, Devine Zigbo bringing him back. He caught a you know caught a couple of passes for the Saints last year, got some snaps, particularly in the Seattle game. And uh, you know Abram Smith, if, if he's somebody that's able to sort of show his worth despite his size as a special teamer, as well as what he's able to do as a running back, pass catcher out the backfield, and as a pass protector, then he may end up solving the problem for them before they diagnose that they have one. Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints Network. Ross, I've got one more for you. What's a storyline that fans should look out for with training camp, you know, just a couple weeks away? Oh, really good question. I, I would say probably on the defensive side, I'm really curious to see what the Saints end up doing with second-round pick Alante Taylor. I mean, the guy just looks like an NFL corner. I mean, he is huge in comparison to the guys that were around him at rookie at the, the rookie mini camps and then he still stands out size wise now that he's around a bunch of NFL guys and so I think that he'll be somebody to watch and if there's a potential battle between him and last year's third round pick who ended up starting the entire season last year when it comes to uh, Paulson Adebo and so that would definitely be a, a big one that I would watch and then the, the other one that I would say would be the offensive line is Trevor Penning going to be ready to go at the beginning of the season? Is, and if he is, Zach Streif made a really interesting comment during that golf classic that you know, he and um, James Hurst will very likely battle it out for that starting left tackle spot, but nothing's going to be gifted to Trevor Penning just because he's a first-round pick. But any player that loses you know, a competition like that ends up becoming an option and competing at the other four spots on the offensive line. So there's a chance that you see a battle between Trevor Penning and James Hurst that maybe gets solved early if Trevor Penning looks the part. That could lead to maybe James Hurst getting some competition and getting the opportunity to compete for one of the interior spots, particularly right guard with Cesar Rees being one that I would like to watch because they brought in Doug Marone to kind of help him develop. But if they feel like they'd rather him kind of develop in the background, as opposed to develop you know, on the field, then they could potentially go to James Hurst early in the season on the interior if he doesn't end up getting that starting left tackle spot. So those are the two, one offense, one defense, that I would keep an eye on. Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints Network joins us here on this Friday edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Ross, really appreciate you taking the time. As always, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Absolutely, man. Anytime. I appreciate you so much, as always, for having me on. Y'all stay safe. Enjoy the Memorial Day weekend, and I'll talk to you here soon. There he goes. Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints Network. Always a fun time interviewing him. Really appreciate him taking the time. The Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's right. 
I said it. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you will have the opportunity to win some awesome prizes like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House here in Lafayette. We want to help you take your lady out for some delicious seafood. But the only way that you can get your hands on that gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House is by joining the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. One more time out here on Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. We'll come back and wrap it up for the weekend. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crush Time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Only got about two minutes left in today's show. Louisiana Rage and Cajuns still leading the Jags of South Alabama two to nothing in the top of the fourth. However, the Jags do have runners on first and second with nobody out. We'll keep an eye on that one for you. Check on the game's social media channels for updates throughout that one. Also, the Tigers of LSU play Tennessee tonight about 830. They're going to get underway in Hoover. We'll bring you that one live right here on the game. And then McNeese and Southeastern at the Joe. Good old big, bald, and beautiful one, RP3, is there. He will have post-game reaction and a write-up on that one. Can McNeese win the Southland yet again? I want to take this opportunity to thank Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider for coming on and giving us insight into the Vols of Tennessee. I want to thank Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints Network for joining us, as he always does, for his insight into the New Orleans Saints. James Mesh, thanks for all you do. Hope everybody has a safe and memorable Memorial Day weekend. We will be back on Tuesday to recap the long weekend and give you the best sports show in Southwest Louisiana. This is Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. Once again, talk to you on Tuesday. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.